Hey, welcome to Conversations with Ben Dixon, where we're looking at important topics through a biblical lens, and our goal is to give you hope and encourage and equip you. So thank you for tuning in. Hey, I just want to remind you that you can go to YouTube and watch these. Just type in Ignite Global Ministries or Conversations with Ben Dixon, and you can always listen to the audio on Spotify or Apple Music. If you forget all of that, just go to conversationswithbendixon.com. Today we've got a special episode, like always, and we're going to be talking about discipling your home. And my special guest with me today, again, he made it back, is Pastor Ryan Kim. He's the youth young adult pastor at Northwest Church. That's our church. And Ryan had the bright idea of flipping the script a little bit, and instead of me sort of carrying the interviewer uh, mentality and voice, he's actually going to try to interview me. So we'll see how this goes. Yes. But he asked a lot of questions and said people are asking questions about how to disciple your home, how to raise your kids in a godly way. And of course, I am the expert on all things children. <laughs> and of course, that's why he wanted to ask the questions to yours truly. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> Um, I have raised kids, so let's give it what we got. We do want to talk about this. so important that discipleship is not just something we do in a church building. Discipleship is our heart. It's the mandate of heaven. It's the mandate of Christ. And that starts in our home, first with our heart, then our home, and then also to the greater body of Christ. So I'm going to cautiously and lovingly pass it over to Pastor Ryan Kim, and I'm looking forward to today's time together. What's up, Pastor Ryan? Hey, hey, hey. Hey, so we're basically just going to jump right into it because I have so many questions, and Mm. and I know tons of people do as well. You've got questions, we've got answers. Yes, yes. Amen. A lot of fun in there. I have known you... Well, we've been in a discipling relationship for intensely probably five years, but I've known you for like Mm -hmm. seven. And I think it's a couple... I think it's more than that. Is it really? I think you're getting older, and you don't know it. (laughs) Keep going. We... So, so, anyways, you are the um, the most intentional person I know in terms of just life and ministry, and even you had a career outside of ministry at mm-hmm. one point, and mm-hmm. and your home, and especially when it comes to your home and your family. Mm-hmm. And so, um, we ended up in our last episode talking about basically that what's really going to change the next generation is discipleship in the home. That's right. Um, and I'm a youth pastor, but I'm not a parent. And so I just feel like... You are be... a parent. Oh, I am a parent. <laughs> Let's but, not I, but he's yeah. one. You know, yeah. how do you Le- disciple a one-year-old? That's Little a, Levi? Another, survive. Another <laughs> there you go. <laughs> yeah, survive. Try to get as much sleep as you can. Um, Amen. Pray a lot. So great idea to interview you, and we're just going to jump right into it. Um, I want to break this up into two parts. Okay. The first part is going to be talking about the heart of discipleship. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that's important because we got to know why we're doing this. And then the majority of the rest of the episode, we'll talk about the how. Mm-hmm. Practical. And, yeah, yeah, totally practical. So my first question for you is, um, what is the the heart or the ultimate goal, you know, of discipling your home and your children, you know, in your mind? Yeah, I think I would answer that by saying my, my goal is that our kids, and I say my kids, Bridget and I, our kids would be better than us. <laughs> and whatever whatever we are, okay, let's just say, let's standardize that. I want them to be better than that. Mm. And so if I can give away what I have and my wife can give away what she has, the hope is that they can build on that. So it's sort of like building a first level, and then the next, or the greater hope is that they can build on top of whatever we have. So if we can give them what we have, uh, the uh, I, I'm 
I'm believing for more for uh, for my kids. So practically speaking, I want my kids to be full on, uh, completely devoted disciples of Jesus. They love God. They love His Word. They love the power of the Holy Spirit. They live a life of integrity. Um, they marry someone who is in keeping with that. They don't marry someone that where they're where they're not hmm. um, equally partnered with someone. Yeah. And uh, and then they take on the values uh, and the principles of God's word that we taught to them, and they they perpetuate that. They keep that going with their children. So it it, it creates a cycle of blessing. Yeah. That's my goal. My goal is that I don't care what they do. In life, Bridget and I would say this uh, explicitly. I don't care what they do for a job, and and I think that there there is a part of the conversation we have to be very clear about this because there are other ideas, there are other ideals that we put in front of our kids, and if we're not careful, our kids will pick up the American dream hmm. rather than the gospel mandate. Honestly, right. we we only have so much bandwidth, we only have so much drive, we only have so much passion. We're very limited. So my goal. Our goal for our kids is that they are completely devoted to Jesus Christ, and I don't care if they where they work. I seriously don't. I don't care if they work at a department store. I don't care if they're teachers. I don't care if they're pastors or preachers, but they have to be fully devoted disciples because this life is going to go by so quick. Yeah. So when you say like better than you guys, you're not talking about materially. You're not talking no, not about, you know, you're talking about spiritually. I'm talking about spiritually yeah. that they're... Uh, they're full of integrity. They're mm. they're more passionate. They spend yeah. more time with God. They love Him more. They make Him known better than we did. You know, they yeah. they have refined their lives to the degree where our indiscretions and the things that we grappled with, struggled with, they're they're not having to struggle with some of the same things because of our mistakes. For example, my wife and I both have a testimony where we came out of a life of sin, and as a result of that, we had to fight things that hopefully our kids don't have to. Now again. I think our kids' testimony of the keeping power of Christ is one of the greatest testimonies in the world. I mean, that's what we want for our kids. So sometimes young people feel like, well, I don't have a testimony because I didn't come off crack and whatever yeah. else. They didn't, you know, I didn't <laughs> yep. have to get delivered from from the bong or whatever, you know. But uh, the power of God to keep someone mm-hmm. is the greatest testimony on the earth because mm-hmm. it says that God is not only powerful enough to do so, but that as we depend on Him, He sustains us. So I want my kids to have that testimony. And what... What more can they do if they don't have to grapple against their past constantly being used against them by the enemy? Yeah. So I believe it is um, possible for them to live uh, a greater life than Bridget and I simply because they don't ever have to try to overcome or conquer the voice of the past. Mm-hmm. Um, hopefully they just build on um, the, voice, the voice of God and the blessing of inheritance. Yeah. That's really powerful. So what what exactly is the difference between like being a traditional, you know, maybe parent mm-hmm. in America versus being a an intentional, you know, discipling parent? Yeah, I mean, I think the difference is the priority of our values. And, uh, you know, there are a lot of good parents out there. And, and, and again, if you're a parent and you're listening to me, first of all, don't hear me say uh, that Bridget and I are perfect. We're not. I don't have a problem telling you our flaws, uh, but I, I, we have raised uh, four kids. We have a 28, 26-year-old, so we have two young adults right now. One's almost your age. I mean, basically the same age. You're friends with them. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so we have a 28, 26-year-old, and then we have a 14 and a 12-year-old. They're almost 15 and 13. So I felt like uh, being a stepdad to my wife's uh, kids, she was a single mom, 
that sort of helped us to understand how not to parent because we made a lot of mistakes. Mm. And then and then with our younger, uh, there's things we're looser on and there's things we're tighter on. Mm-hmm. And not being perfect parents, but what I want you to hear as parents, those of you that are listening, I want I want you to hear this is is that um, you learn as you go and you have to be able to adapt. And so. I think that our values are revealed by our intentionality. We have to work really hard mm. at prioritizing our values and making sure that's the way of our life, or the default will just simply take over. So traditional mm. parenting is where we're just, we love our kids, we, we're good people, we try to do good things, we try to be a good example, um, but a lot of times we'll allow default to overtake us because life is busy, life is hard. Mm-hmm. When you get home, you want to eat dinner and watch television. And you don't realize the importance of pressing in intentionally to your children who need you. But I would also say when it comes to traditional parenting, let's just assume everybody wants to be a great parent. I think a lot of the American values or whatever our country is, we it can overtake us if we're not careful. For example, just give you a really clear example. Um, my daughter has been into dance. My son was into basketball. Now we're into jujitsu. Okay, so you have all these sports and martial arts and whatever you're into, and it could be extracurricular, like they could be on in the honor role or whatever, and so they have all this extracurricular stuff. Well, where does church fit into that? Where does discipleship fit into that? Where does devotion, family devotions fit into that? So there will be a point if your values are not clearly defined in your home as to what you do and how you do it, you will go by the default of what is presented to you or what our kids are most passionate about. So if your kids right. are passionate about baseball and then they get on the select team, before you know it, baseball is running your life and God is not the priority of your family. Mm-hmm. And so we've had to make those decisions. The first time around when we were parenting our older kids, it was really hard and we had to learn how to limit the sports that they were into. We just had to say, you can only do two a year, not two at a time. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we would not allow them to have st- stacked sports and other things because we realized it would over overhaul our life and we couldn't yeah. get that back. And the reason I say that is this, is that I've actually had to walk up to a coach before and and say, we're not going to be here on Wednesday night because my kids go to a Wednesday night discipleship thing at our church. And, you know, the look on his face is like, what are you, what are you talking about? See, we've actually had to transact with worldly people who don't go to church, who don't value the Word of God, right. don't value God and, and the teaching of integrity and the passing on of biblical truth. We've actually had to like find that tension with people who would who would be confused why we would not go to Wednesday night baseball practice. Instead, right. we would go to Wednesday night church because the value of the Dixon home was God and the gathering of his people more than baseball. See, baseball right. can't run our lives or sports or martial arts or whatever the thing is. You can be passionate about that, but you can't have multiple hobbies mm-hmm. and then expect to have a vibrant life of discipleship. Mm-hmm. And parents have to realize this, that we have to steward our home. We have to make the decisions based on our values. What are our values? What do we believe? And if you don't ever have to make sacrificial decisions when you're parenting your kids, trust me, they will be made for you. Right. So traditional parenting is just to go with the flow and whatever the kids want to do. Before you know it, the kids are leading the home. Mm-hmm. The kids now, the kids can contribute to what we do. Okay, they can contribute what they desire and they're passionate about. And of course, we want we want that. But if you let your kids decide for you mm-hmm. and their passions, right? You know, they're not going to eat healthy food and they're not going to go to church and they're not going to. When my parents gave me the choice of whether or not I, I had to go to church when I was thirteen years old, do you think that I ever went to church again? 
No, I never went to church again. <laughs> again, when parents asked me, should I allow my kids to not go to church or go to church? And to me, no, your home is your home is decided based on the values that you have. You, you cannot allow your children to decide the values of what they do or what we do. So there is no me, it is we. Discipling your home has everything to do with the we. It is, there is no me. There is no individual, individuality. Genesis chapter 2 says that when marriage happens, the man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to be one with his wife. Okay, until that happens, if you live in our home, it is the we. It is not the me. True. And so our values yeah. have to define our home, yeah. what we do together. We eat food together. We sit at the dinner table together. We go to church together, and there is no other option. And so whenever parents ask me about that, because they, you know, traditional parenting kind of in our world today is almost like let kids sort of decide a lot of things. Well, how that, I don't believe in that. I don't think you can disciple your kids with allowing them to make value-based decisions because they will make decisions by default, not by discipleship, because they're kids. That's yeah. what they will do. We love our kids. We, they might be good kids. They might love the Lord to the best of their ability, but they're still 14. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? They're not 41, and they haven't gone through life and been able to look back and say, wow, that really beat the heck out of me, mm-hmm. and I didn't realize that the enemy was going to take a pound of flesh on that one. Yeah. So we, there are things that we have, to, we have to determine the values of our home based on God's Word, and we have to stick to that. Yeah, I've seen that. In I don't know if I answered your question or no, not, but like no, you know, val- values based on God's word, everything. Yeah, it's 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 your values. Yeah, and, absolutely. And I've seen that in youth ministry when kids do reflect the values of their parents, mm-hmm. whether they know it or not. Right. What What would you say to? Because that's a, like I've heard you say this before. You know, when um, when you value God and and the church that much, you're willing to limit these other things. Yeah that are very common in traditional parenting, like sports, like all these other extra activities, so that they can... Right. They matter, they just don't matter more. Right, right. Exactly. Um, What would you say to the parent who's maybe going, you know, well, I don't don't want to make my kid go to church, you know? I don't want them to... You know, what would you say to, to someone who's thinking that? I would, I would say that you're, and again, I want to say this cautiously and lovingly, but I would say you, you probably feel a little bit behind the eight ball in saying that. In other words, you probably feel like there are some things that you haven't done in your home to build that foundation to where it creates an awkwardness of going to church. And I'm not, I'm not, I don't want to provide any guilt right. here, but let me just say, let's back up for a second. Do we have family devotion time? Have we been built on God's Word? Is it normal for us to pray together as a family? Do we discuss biblical realities in contrast to cultural moments and cultural things that are going on? Is there a biblical lens in our home for which we decide and disciple our kids with? Do we read books with them? Do we read the Bible with them? Is that the most important thing in our home? See, if it's not, then what we're going to do is we're going to, at the time we say, I don't want to make my kids go to church. The reason that that question or that feeling is there is because we feel like we haven't parented them properly at home. So the church is more of the add-on. It's not the norm. Church to me, going to church is a manifestation of being the church at at home. Right, right. Okay, so there is no fight. Like my, my kids have never fought me on going to church because all of those fights have happened in our home as we go through our values, as we read the Bible together. I have, I have... Bridget and I have 
hours of wars, you know, as they're being developed into disciples. Yeah. And we've done all that in our home. So they've never fought us on going to church. Now, that doesn't mean our kids are perfect, and it doesn't mean we're perfect. It means that the war started before mm-hmm. that decision had to be made. You see what I'm saying? By the time you're asking that or saying that comment, what you're saying is, is that there's a lot of these battles that haven't been fought in one yet. Right. So in That's our home, good. we have yeah. to build an altar for prayer. That means we've got to be a house that prays. In our home, we've got to be a house that's devoted to God's Word. You have to have family devotions at some point in some way. Now, you, you're going to ebb and flow. Listen to me. It's not perfect. You're going to ebb and flow. You're going to fall out of your flow. Every parent knows this. You had devotions for a year and a half, and then all of a sudden, wacky stuff started happening, and you lost your rhythm on Tuesday nights. Bridget and I have done that many times, and we had to re-up it. We had to say, okay, we're going to go back to this. We got to do Monday nights now because things started flipping a little bit. And you got to be careful. You got to be flexible. You got to adapt based on your values and make sure that you not only fit it in, but prioritize it. But when you're winning those battles and your kid's mind is being renewed and their heart is being fixed and you're being an example and they're seeing it in you and they know this is concrete, who we are, Mm -hmm. this is what we do. Like for me, the way I say it, Dixons go to church, mm-hmm. okay? Mm-hmm. My kids don't question that. Dixons go to church, and Dixons sit together. Yeah. My kids aren't going to sit with their buddies, okay? That's just how we roll. You might disagree with me on that, but I'm, I, I want us to sit together as a family, okay? So this is Dixons go to church together. Dixons are together, and they can go hang out with their friends after service. It's an hour and a half. People, come on. It's an hour and a half, right? Amen? Yeah. It's an hour and a half, all right? That's like, that's like two shows of what my kids watch or something. <laughs> but... My point is this, is that um, there are things that Dixons do, okay? For you, as you raise your home, Kim's, this is what we do. Mm-hmm. This is who we are. This is what we do. Mm-hmm. And, and our kids get it in their mind. They, they get it. This is who we are. This is what we do. Yeah. So I'm saying you got to win those wars before you ever get to that. So the, the difference between traditional parenting, intentional discipling, what are your values and do they show? Yeah. So is there an aspect where... Where you, where, where the parents themselves, moms and dads, almost need like a renewal for their passion for God. Absolutely. Themselves. Yeah. I mean, per- personal revival. Like. Personal yeah. revival, right? So this is why our time in the Word, this is why our prayer life, this is why defining who we are, knowing our identity in Christ, all of that becomes the inheritance that we give away to our kids. Your personal development in Christ is the inheritance that you give away. I mean, this is a concept that we've got to understand. You, when we die, whatever we have is supposed to be given to our kids, right? That's called an inheritance. Well, what about the inheritance spiritually? Okay, what are, what are we building in our spiritual bank account that we're giving away to our children? That's what we have to be thinking about. That's mm-hmm. what Jesus talked about, storing up something that moth and rust cannot destroy. Mm-hmm. That which our kids see in us, that renewal and that revival and that those values and yeah. those beliefs and those convictions, all of that our kids are getting as an inheritance. They may yeah. not realize it. They may not thank you for it, but that is what we're storing up for them as they see us live it, speak it, and walk it out and, and seek to impart it to them. So traditional parenting, there are a lot of good parents out there, a lot of good mm-hmm, people, they mm-hmm, mean well, mm-hmm. but that does not mean that your kids are going to get uh, the best of you, and the best of you has to be the follower of Jesus that you desire to be. That, that, that our development in Christ 
is the impartation that we give to our kids. Yeah. And and it is the vision that we also we paint that picture, that vision of what we desire for them to be. Luke chapter 6 verse 46, I think it is. Jesus said, "No student is above their teacher, but every student when fully trained will be like their teacher." So if you think about your life and you say, "My kids are going to be as good as me." Every student can be like their teacher. You have to look at your heart you have to look at your values. You have to look at your secret place. You have to look at your life in the Word. You have to look at the way you treat people. Your kids are going to rise to the level of which you live, or they're going to have to, if you're not living where you should be, they're going to have to overcome something hmm. in order to be better than you. I would rather build my life in Christ in such a way where my kids have to rise rather than overcome something that they saw in me that was was not so great. Yeah. And you mentioned this on our last episode, but th- this can turn around Today, quickly. Right now. Right? It's one of those things. Yeah, if right. you're not doing it right right now, yeah. friends, you can turn around right now. God is the God yeah. of turnaround. If you feel guilt, and that's the thing, if you feel guilt when somebody's talking about passion and vision for something that you think you need to be doing or you know you need to be doing, don't, don't own false guilt, okay? Own real guilt. Okay, I should have been doing something. Conviction says I can move forward. Condemnation says I'm done. I'm done and out for the game. Yeah. Conviction says today is the day of salvation. Today is the day of change. God is the God of turnaround. God can change anything. Even if your kids are out of the house, even if your kids are in college, even if your kids are adults and raising their own kids, God can turn anything around. And that's the faith that we start with today. So yeah. no matter where we are in the process, whether our kids are three or one, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, you're just beginning, you're all the, you're halfway through, or you're at the end. The first place you have to start is you've got to have faith that God can turn this thing around. Wh- wherever you're at, whatever guilt you feel, take that guilt. Say, Lord, I haven't done things well. I haven't done things right, but I want to change that. If you're willing to do that today, God will meet you in that place of faith, and He'll say, "Game on." Yeah. Game on. Let's turn this thing around. Let's get this thing going and let's give our kids our best right where we're at. You can't you can ask for forgiveness for the past, but you can't go back. Yeah. So it's time to move forward. Yeah. One of the leadership I feel like preaching. Come yeah, you are. Mm, there you go. Mm, thank well, you, Jesus. Okay. One of the leadership principles that you taught the staff kind of recently was like sometimes as leaders we just get we just get overwhelmed. Right. We just sit in this like feeling of being overwhelmed right. instead of just simply making decisions, right. you know, and that's really what you're saying. We can, we can turn this around, just make these decisions. It's a mentality, you know, you know yeah. it, it, sometimes, uh, you know, I don't think of myself as a great person, but I do think that there are distinctions we all carry. Mm-hmm. So people will ask me questions, you know, again, not to puff myself and think I'm awesome. I don't think that, but there are things that define me. And one of the things is I have an I can mentality and I recognize and discern and I can't, I can't do that. And my question is why? Why can't you do that? Who said you can't do that? Why are you telling yourself you can't do that? Yeah. You can learn anything. You know, you may not be able to do everything as good as others. I think that's sort of a weird American lie. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> be all you can be and you can do anything you want to do. It's not true. I mean, there's some things I can't, like, I can't tightrope walk. You know what I'm saying? Nope. I'm not interested in that, number one, but I will die. Mm-mm. Okay? I will die. Anyways, there you can't do everything. But... There are things that we're all called to do. You can do them, and we shouldn't get overwhelmed and, and be like, oh, I, 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 I can't. Don't get stuck. Right. Just snap out of it and go, okay, right. what, what's the next step? 
You got to wake up every day and say, what is my next step today? To get freer than I was yesterday, to be more in lo- love with God than I was, to be a better parent, to be a more godly person, and to, and to give the greatest impartation that I ki- can to my kids. You don't have to know 10 years in advance. You just have to know your next step. What is your next step? And that creates an I can mentality. Mm-hmm. God is with you. The word of God is true. I can. That's that's the reality. And mm-hmm. I I hate I hate it when people get stuck. I hate it when people just get overwhelmed because when we're overwhelmed, we tend to veg. We tend to watch a lot of television. We tend to like suck our lives down the drain in something that is completely filled with insignificance. Right? I mean, it's like, there, it, it, how much television do you need before you realize you're just killing your life? Mm-hmm. Right? I mean, if people say, Ben, how did you write books? You know, do you have a degree in all that? No, I've got a degree in nothing. <laughs> you know, so <laughs> I've got a degree and I can do anything I want to do and nobody can tell me I can't. Mm-hmm. Right? That's what I got mm-hmm. a degree in. And so I think it's, I think it's important for us to, to stop getting so overwhelmed and start making decisions. That's yeah. what I believe. I actually believe that. I'm not preaching that. I'm not saying this is such a good thought. I live that way. I really yeah. think it's important for us to get unstuck. Yeah. So. Yeah, absolutely. So we're going to move on to the how, and I'm just going to ask you a ton of questions on okay, pra- let's do it. practicals and all sorts of stuff. Let's do it. Um, before we move on to the how, I just want to reiterate something that you said is that the greatest value... When you, Every time you do this, it yeah. makes me smile because it means you're listening to me. Oh, yeah, of course, I man. Love, I love, no, but of course, no, not of course. Okay, but I didn't know. You know what I'm saying? This is great. D- you see just that? letting you guys know, I am so genuinely curious about you know what's in Ben's heart about this as well because I want to be a good parent to Levi and disciple him as well. But, but one thing you said is that the greatest value that that you can impart to your kids is spiritual. It's not material. It's Amen. not any yeah. of these other things. And I just want to like reiterate that before we move on, because my dad, as an immigrant, came and worked, broke his back mm-hmm. to, to work for his children so we could have something that he didn't have. Right. But at the end of the day, him and I were disconnected. Right. And so it's like he worked so hard to give these other things to us, which I appreciate and, mm-hmm. and I'm grateful for. But I would have rather had a connection with him and, and a love for God together, you know? Yeah. And so um, I just think that's really important for us to kind of like bracket before we move on. But thank mm-hmm. you for saying that. So the how. Okay. All right. I have so many questions for you. Um, rapid fire. Here we go. So I don't think my, que- my answers will be rapid fire, so as you know. <laughs> <laughs> so we're talking about discipling your home. Yeah. So what does a typical week look like in the Dixon household? Crazy. Yeah. So uh, first of all, shout out to Bridget Dixon, because the truth is... is She's amazing. Yeah. So I have to say this, not just to honor her. uh, The Bible says, give honor to whom honor is due. But I also think she, to me, she defines what I think um, a virtuous woman should be as we seek to disciple our home together. And so we uh, take on homeschooling, and that is 98%. 0.5% Bridget, okay, because I work a long work week. And so for us, her and I have had to forge a path uh, into this world of entrepreneurship and pastoring, and I was a real estate agent. And so I've got that entrepreneurial thing, and I know you have it too. So some people work, like you go to work and you go to work at eight and you come home at five, and if you're married, you have a couple kids and you sort of have a lot of your life predefined, and it's not really that difficult to schedule based on that. It's already predefined. I don't have that type of life, and I never have, as since Bridget and I have been married. 
Um, so I was a real estate agent and being in real estate, time is of the essence. So when you have to go, you got to go and your client, you're, you're always on your client's watch. People get into real estate and they think, oh, I want, I want this free schedule and I just want to be able to do what I want to do. Uh, that's a ridiculous idea (laughs) (laughs) because your time, you give your time away to your client and whatever that means is what that means. You're there to serve them, not to sell them something. You're there to serve them and you have to do what is best for them. So Bridget and I have learned a life that is flexible. And so we have our standards and we have our values. We know what we want to do. Mm -hmm. And then the how is a basic template of what we're going to do. Okay. So in our home, we we learned that through me having a real estate career and being a pastor where you have all kinds of things outside of your your eight to fives or whatever. I've got multiple evenings that I'm gone and sometimes Bridget's with me in that. And sometimes, and I used to travel a bunch as well. So we've built a basic template. Our basic template is I come home at five, we have dinner together as a family, we always sit at the dinner table, um, and we've had to re-implement this procedure, which is that no electronics make it there, okay? We've had to continue to re-up that. That's what you have to do mm-hmm. as a family. Mm-hmm. That, that tends to uh, slip sometimes, you know? No, that slips. <laughs> no, no, I'm, be, I'm being honest. That yep, slips, yep. but you have. But we're, we're in a season where we're like, no slip, yep, okay? Yep. Um, but eating together as a family, if you can, make that a priority. I mean, if you absolutely can't, if you're not doing it, that's not the same as can't do it. So eating together as a mm-hmm. family is, is, is very important. No devices. Being together, no devices, mm-hmm. no electronics, asking each other questions. And I love it because one of the first, uh, I mean, my son and my daughter both ask me when I come home, how was your day? Okay, this is standard for them. I don't have to ask them. I mean, I, I'm not even the first person to ask. They ask me. My wife asked me. I asked them. We're, we, we vibe together in such a way where every, who knows who's going to ask first, how was your day today? So being together, uh, eating together is, is a priority. And then we're together. I mean, again, I, when I teach men, I say men shouldn't have 10 hobbies. They shouldn't have five hobbies. If anything, they should have one hobby, and men should exhaust themselves. You should always go to bed exhausted. If you're married, this is a mandate for you. Okay, you have to serve your family. Women, same thing, same thing. You've got to serve your families. But I'm just speaking to men for a moment because yeah. the men are in this room. That's what I believe. We've got to exhaust ourselves. We can't, we can't serve ourselves. When the Bible says in Ephesians 5 that men need to love their wives as Christ loved the church, um, I believe that that's in contrast to men loving themselves. In fact, I think that's what Paul was saying when he told women to submit to their husbands. I don't think it was just, here's your role, ladies. I think it was, you have power and strength inside of you, and if you don't put that under submission, you're going to usurp your husbands. Now, isn't that true? Yeah, no, Women can usurp, but that means that there's a strength in you that God is saying, if you don't put that thing in check, that it will go in the flesh. And I think the same is true for men. Men have a tendency towards the flesh, which is to self-serve and to love themselves. That's why they love the statistics, they love the sports, they love the beer, they love all that stuff. You love all that stuff, and at the end of it, you don't got any love for God mm-hmm. because you, can't, you don't have anything to give to God or your family. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't mean that you can't like sports, but if you love sports, it's, you, you're not going to have that discipleship home. You can't. 
because you just don't have enough time in the day. You don't have enough affection. You've, you're, we're limited people. So the typical life for us is we eat together and then we spend time together. So weekly we do worship, we do devotions. On Mondays we have a Bible class with Ben Dixon, <laughs> amen, <laughs> Bible Foundations with Ben Dixon. Um, and sometimes we watch a video. I don't just teach my home, sometimes I curate the content because I want my kids to have the best. And so right now we've been watching An Apologist lately, and they've my kids have loved that. And so instead of me only being the teacher, I right. curate the content as well. I give my kids the books. Right now um, they're in their homeschool studies. They're going through Foundations of Pentecostal Theology. They're halfway through the second book. Mm-hmm. Um, I, and I want to be clear, my kids have already gone through book one of Foundations of Pentecostal Theology. Mm-hmm. There's no excuses for any of us. All right, mm-hmm. amen. All right, mm-hmm. 12 and 14 keeping it real. So you have to, and we, we have to have a rhythm and a routine. We, we spend time together. That's what we do. Um, we have devotions usually on Tuesday nights. We've had to flip that around. So once a week we have family devotions and worship. And then the rest of the time we try to just do life together. So if we're having fun together, we do that. We, we make a schedule every week. It's a typical routine of eating together, being together, doing devotions together, worshiping together, having fun together. Sure. And then on the weekends, Bridget and I plan that out, and usually she's the one that plans our social calendar. I plan my work calendar, and then we correspond weekly about that. And Bridget is amazing at that. She's a, she, she has her role in our home to make sure that these things work well. And then I have my role, which is to make sure that my work life sort of can interact with our home life. And so the last thing I would say about what practically this looks like is there's a passage that you have to know. If you're a parent, you have to know this passage. And I just throw, threw it on my notes. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 6 and 7. I want to make a point here. A lot of discipleship is not sit down, listen to me. Okay, you, you ha- we have those in our home. We have those. We have our Tuesday nights. But I need you to hear me if you're a parent. A lot of our discipleship is not just about the intentional. It's about having an intentional heart that you're using every opportunity to teach your kids in the way you live and also with what you're saying. And Deuteronomy 6, 6 says that. He says, and these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. Think about that. They're consumed in your life. You shall teach them diligently to your children. Okay. And then he goes on to say, you shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise. And so the way I view this is that when I'm on a drive with my kids, when I'm on a walk with my daughter, my daughter and I like to go shopping together. I don't know why. It's just she just loves it, and I enjoy going shopping with my daughter. It's kind of She's funny. She's a teenage girl. She's a teenage girl. <laughs> I love it. She loves it. Um, I, I mean, I don't love looking at girls' clothing because there's less of it these days. So that sort of creates anxiety in my life. Yep. But I, uh, I just, there are things that we do, and when we do them, it's, the, it's not just the sit-down Bible study, guys. It's, it's everything that you do, you incorporate God into it. Mm. So even when we're sitting together having a meal, yeah. we're inco- we want to incorporate God into it. So be mindful of that. Every, every minute that you spend with your kids could be a moment that God wants to use. And that comes from our perspective, and it creates principles, and it, and it also creates practices, right? So perspectives yeah. lead to principles, which lead to practices. Yeah. Um, so two things you said mm-hmm. that I just want to hold on. First thing was sometimes you curate the content that you guys go through. So you're going through an apologist. I know you had mentioned the Bible Project as a great resource. We did do that, yeah. And so um, some of you guys know Ben is a great Bible teacher and a pastor, but you know if you're not a great 
Bible teacher and a pastor, you can totally use other other content. Lots of content, yeah. And then another question for you is um, just kind of honing in on your family devotions. Mm-hmm. Like, what is what do family devotions look like for you? Like, do you guys yeah. go through a book of the Bible? Do you mm-hmm. soap? Do you talk about yeah. it? I mean, what it, this ebbs and flows, and um, right now, and we have flexible. Been, yeah, it's yeah. very flexible, and you have to adapt. You have to change. You have to realize what does and doesn't work, but you always have to be on it. Right, that's the key: is being flexible, being adaptable, being intentional. So we've kind of landed on. Uh, we used to do the Life Journal. Okay. I do the Life yep. Journal with Northwest Church. I had our kids do it. It's like four chapters a day. You get through the Old Testament once, the New Testament twice in a year. My kids have done that multiple times. And uh, we, when, when your kids are young, this is what we've done. You start them by just reading, okay, reading a chapter a day when they're young enough to just read. And they don't know half the time what they're reading. But you just start them in the practice of reading. They don't have a clue. They're going to ask you all kinds of crazy... And trust me, my kids have asked me every question about every uncomfortable topic that comes up in the Bible, which lets me know they're actually reading it and wondering, what in the world does this mean, Dad? Did this person really chop up these body parts and send them to all the tribes of Israel? And you're like... Yeah, that happened, and it's not on a Christmas card, so great. Uh, You... You have to start them reading, and then you move on from reading to reflecting. Okay, so this is this is uh, read, reflect, meditate. That's my procedure when I write a book on how to study the Bible, read, reflect, meditate. They learn how to read the Bible, they get familiar with it. Okay, so that's like when they're about six or seven. By the time they're about nine or ten, girls are usually a little more advanced than boys. We all know that. It's actually very true. And so by the time they're nine and ten, usually the girls are able to journal right? Maybe a little younger than that, but they can journal. You start them journaling. The first place we started them journaling is what I said, is just write a Bible verse. I didn't want them to write observations, right? So scripture, observation, application, prayer. When your kids are young, start them at a pace that they can do. So your kids at 10 years old can write a passage, right? Philippians 4.13 or whatever, but you don't need to ask them, what do you think about this? Um, it's kind of like asking your kids what they think about a sermon after they listen to somebody preach, you know? I don't know. I was kind of bored. You know, it's like <laughs> if, you, if you're looking for something awesome to come out of them at, at yeah. a really young age, like maybe it'll happen. Maybe maybe it won't. So, But the goal is to get them familiar with the Bible, mm. okay? Get them reading it. Don't ask them about it so much. Just you share with them, hey, when I read this today, here's what came give them space to talk, but don't expect them to like have this really deep um, resonating with the Bible and here's what God spoke to me. Like yeah. that, that's very rare as I talk to parents. So, so at that point, you're like imparting the, the practice more than... It's all, about, more than... it's all about getting them familiar with the Bible. Gotcha. Like Hebrew boys and girls grew up years ago, and even now Orthodox Jews, they, they're to memorize it. I mean, there's a point at which I think it's by the time they're 14, 15, they're supposed to memorize the first five books of the Bible. I mean, they're not going to memorize every piece of it, but there's a level of memorization. It's part of their way of life. Mm -hmm. And so I just think sometimes culturally, regardless of what your back culture is, we want a heavenly culture. We want a biblical culture. Mm -hmm. And so that comes with familiarity. So step one, get your kids to read, get on a Mm -hmm. reading plan. So that was usually we together. Used the, together. We used yeah. the life journal plan. We did that together. So that way we could talk about it at any time. In our coming, in our going, in our lying, in our getting up, we could talk mm-hmm. about the same thing because we're all reading the same thing. The second is to get them to journal by eight, ten, eight to ten, somewhere in there, and journal a passage, just one passage a day. Mm-hmm. That's it. Give them a journal. Give them a big journal. Mm-hmm. Twenty-five cents at Staples. Big journal. 
get them to do that. Second, when they get old enough, have them write one thing that they thought about the passage that they journaled. Mm-hmm. And it's okay if it's not profound and... In fact, it shouldn't be. <laughs> yeah. It should be very simple. You know, Jesus walked and he touched somebody's eyes with spit and they were healed. I think that's pretty cool. That's an awesome observation. Like, yeah. like literally, if you look at journals of my kids, like it starts out just like that. Right, right. Pretty cool. God can do anything. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's like that's it's like the action Bible written out from the heart of a child. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. But that's the point: is you get them to get them to extend a thought or a feeling. Often they're just saying what they feel when they read this, and it's just, it's simplistic. So, but by the but what you're doing is you're develop you're helping them to develop your heart. You're not sitting with them. Here's how you do every little detail. Mm-hmm. You're directing them in the practice. You're giving them the space. But you got to let them develop. Mm-hmm. You can't demand out of them what only God can produce in them. But you have to create an environment and a space where this is what we do, mm-hmm. and then let the Lord do what God's going to do. So yeah. now my kids, um, they're on a plan where they're just... I started them in the New Testament, so they're just doing one chapter a day. Yeah. So it's just a one a day. That's that's kind of the where I... Do. And so they do scripture, uh, observation, and they write a scripture and they write an observation, and yeah. then we can talk about it. I think that's really like an interesting point, because when I think family devotions, mm-hmm. I think sometimes I think like... It's this thing we get do together once a week. But mm-hmm. you're saying that, yeah, you get together and talk about it once a week, mm-hmm. but they're reading every day. Correct. Right? And, and, yeah. and that's leading up to that, the moment when you get together. Right. Um, and you got to start early. If you're going to do what I'm talking about, yeah. if your kids are under six, you're at a perfect place. If they're way past that, then you're going to have to reset and, and try to implement this differently, which you can, by the way. You really, yeah. really can. It's going to start with your practice, and it's going to start with yeah. how you begin to implement slowly and mm-hmm. sh- but surely into, into their lives. Yeah. And I think what's powerful about it is, is they don't know this, but they're hearing God's voice. All the time. Like at a young age. All the and time. That's really what you're cultivating is like by the time they're a teenager, they've heard God's voice and they learn how to hear God's voice, you know? I remember I remember when Josiah when I came to our church at Northwest and Josiah was a junior high leader. He's he's in the room right now. He's hey, gonna Josiah. laugh at this. But he um and he's the mastermind behind this and there's and with Bjorn and others are here too. But we anyways, we love our team. Uh, Josiah asked me, he said, hey, as a parent and as a pastor, as a lead pastor, what do you want to tell me as the junior high pastor to do or to not do? And uh, to do, how, what do you expect of me? And I just said, just don't get in my way. <laughs> That's literally what I told him. And what I meant by that was, as a junior high pastor, you're not the discipler of my kids, okay? You're somebody that gets to help by being another voice, not the voice, but you are another voice that I'm going to trust. You're an extension of my discipleship in their lives. So you help me disciple my home. Be a voice. Don't get in the way. Don't teach them something I have to undo. And then I have to go, well, Josiah doesn't know what he's talking about. You know, I mean, <laughs> I don't want to do that. I like Josiah never did that. But that was my point. If you're discipling your home, then the reality is, is you're not expecting the the youth pastors to do it for you. In fact, you get to work together with pastors at the church for the development of our young people. That's a beautiful process. That's yeah. that's what I think is 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 amazing. Yeah. Right. It and really so when, is. when when Ryan teaches my daughter um, to journal or say, hey, you guys should spend time in the word, she's already doing it. She's just blinking her eyes at them. <laughs> but <laughs> I'm pretty but sure here, that has actually happened. But here's the cool thing. Here's the cool thing. 
Ryan will contribute by being another voice to encourage mm-hmm. my daughter mm-hmm. to do what the Lord wants her to do in her life so that she can continue to hear his voice. Yeah. So I need Ryan, okay? But if Ryan doesn't have parents discipling their children in their home, you can't win. Yeah. You have to be, when you have to go from being a voice to the voice, I was a youth pastor and it was a lose-lose situation. Yeah, it's incredibly So difficult. we have to work together. Yeah. That's the key. Yeah. Um, oh man, I just have... So, okay, so just to close out the family devotionals, um, reading throughout the week, and get worship, together. And worship. You guys worship yeah, together? we worship okay. together. Right, we, go on, we go on, on YouTube. Okay. Go on YouTube and yeah. everybody gets to pick a song. If you, if you go to Maverick City, it's kind of like a party in your living room. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Dude, totally is. It's Anyways. just a party. I almost, I almost started singing. It's just, it's like, it's like a party. Like you don't even know if you're worshiping or you're mesmerized by what they're doing. It's amazing. It. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's awesome. It's so great. worship, and then you guys end in prayer or something like that. You guys. Yeah, we pray together every night. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, so let's talk about um, raising teenagers. Okay. So. Uh, it's right where I'm living. My kids listen. Watch this, by the way. Yeah. Every, every week, almost they watch this. So. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Love you guys. That's awesome. Hey. Um, so raising teenagers, I think one thing I've um, noticed about parent parenting teenagers, um, just working with parents, is they're sort of like a a desperation. Mm. You know, when you're raising teenagers because they're they're older, they're asking questions, they're kind of like making these decisions and stuff like that. And so just kind of honing on in on raising teenagers, um, what what tips or words of wisdom would you give specifically about discipling teenagers in that age range? Yeah. Um, I mean, the thing is, is that we, we have three boys, we have one girl. So there's a lot Bridget and I are learning about girls, um, and and they, boys and girls are different, uh, contrary to popular worldly beliefs today. They're very different, and it is very important that we understand that because there are things we're going to pour into our daughters and, and our sons separately as they become men and women of God. Um, I, there's a lot of things I could say about this, so I'm trying to kind of zone in on things that I think are really, really important. Yeah. Um, number one, let me just tell you... Uh, Consistency is extremely important with your kids, all right, especially for your teenagers, because they will test you and they will tempt you in every way possible, because they're trying to find who they are, all right? They're developing at a rapid rate as those hormones shoot up into the heavenlies, all right? They do not know what is happening to their body, to their mind, to their soul, And I think it's important that while they're changing so rapidly that we are consistent in that. Like, we have got to be the most consistent voice. We've got to be the most consistent example. And our principles have to be uh, tested in those seasons, and we're going to hold to it. So they've got to see in us a really clear, consistent example, Mm -hmm. and they've got to hear the same thing in us, okay? Mm -hmm. And I even wrote this down because I think it's helpful. We have to know who we are, we know what we do, and we follow through. All right, it rhymes, so it's very powerful. Mm -hmm. But we know who we are, we know what we do, and we follow through. Who are the Dixons? Who are the Kims? In their teenage years, they're going to get challenged, and if you pull anchor uh, every time that the the conversation gets heated or every time they start to have a little bit better argument because they all of a sudden they become lawyers in your home <laughs> and they stack the deck on their case against you or your principles, you've got to know why you do what you do. We've got to know why it's important. So um, so number one, be consistent. Number two, 
is that at every stage as your kids grow, you've got to adapt. Okay, kids, kids are growing up. You've got to move boundary markers on all kinds of things so that you allow for them to become adults. Um, one of the things Bridget and I uh, want to do is we want our kids to be um, not self-sufficient. We want them to be God-dependent, but we want them to be functioning individuals. Like they have to be able to do a lot of stuff, right? They've got to be able to... Uh, so. I, I just, I, I don't think everybody should get a gold star for everything. I think they should learn a work ethic. And I think that's as godly as it gets. Everything you do, do is unto the Lord, right? And, and so there's something about having a work ethic, which keeps you being that I can person. Mm-hmm. Um, today, I, I think Proverbs speaks about laziness uh, as such a, it, it's, I mean, and passivity. It's such a, it, it creates spiritual slumps in people too. It mm-hmm. creates that mm-hmm. overwhelming, like mm-hmm. I can't, I can't, and I think mm-hmm. it affects us spiritually, physically, in every way. So if we help our kids get a work ethic, not by you know booting them around the house, but but really we have to raise them in a way where they're not just going to sit around and play video games and get on their phones. Like we have to limit the things, their exposure mm-hmm. to the things that will keep them addicted to the ways of the world. Mm-hmm. And we need to put them in environments and circumstances where they're going to learn how to work hard, love God, and serve people. Yeah. And we have to be with them when they do that. Yeah. So raising kids, uh, raising teenagers is especially important that we don't back down. So let me say it to you like this. I know there's questions coming. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I heard somebody say this, and I think it's really true. They said that usually you give most of your parenting to your kids when they're young, and you give the least amount of parenting when they get older. That actually should be flipped. All right, you should give the most amount of parenting. You should give the most amount of intentionality. You should give the most amount of your presence as your kids get older. One of the things I've recognized, my wife and I walk every Monday and we talk, and something through our talking and walking together that we've recognized, and I'll say this to her, I'll say, we've got five years left until Azariah is considered an adult in the eyes of the world. I just want that to settle. Just let that sink in for a second. If you've got, a, if you've got kids that are 14, 15, if they're 15 years old, you've got three years until they're old enough to go to the store and buy a pack of cigarettes or rent a hotel. You know what I'm saying? You've got five years until they're old enough to uh, do a whole lot of other things, go buy alcohol, all kinds of other stuff that they could get in, in, in problems with. I'm not suggesting all, you know, everything's a sin, but I'm just saying that there are things that the world says as a standard that they can do because they're old enough to do it. We have to capture these years with intentionality and presence. One yeah. of the number one things, one of the number one things you can do for your kids when they're teenagers is be present. I know that just sounds super simple, but we give the least amount of parenting to our kids in their final development years, and that cannot happen. Right. You, have to, you have to re-up your game right. when your kids are 12, 13, 14, 15. That's when they're going through puberty. That's mm-hmm. when they start liking someone. That's when they start considering their sexuality. Mm-hmm. That's when their temptations get the strongest. Mm-hmm. When your kid's 10, they don't know what kind of stuff they got going on in their body. But when they're 13... They may not know, but they're very aware of it. You know what I'm saying? So it's at that point, you've got to be present as a mom or dad. Yeah. And so one of the reasons that I say that to my wife and Bridget and I talk about is we go, we've got three years until Azariah is this. We've got five years until Judah is this. You kind of, it's kind of funny because you're like, man, but we have a 28 and a 26 year old. And I can tell you, it goes by really, really fast. Mm. And so capture these years, be present, number one. You're going to make a lot of mistakes, but if you're present, you can mm-hmm. redeem them all. Yeah. If you're not present, you're you're going to have a lot of regrets. You know. 
So I want to touch on two really important things that you just brought up. Okay. Um, really cultural issues and, and helping teenagers navigate that. But the first thing being media, social media, media. Okay. And the second thing being sexuality. But the first thing with media, mm-hmm. um, there's a statistic out there that 70% of Gen Z males consider their identity as gamers. Okay. And when <laughs> I when I look even at my group of students in my youth ministry, the the ones who have like kind of what we would call strict media boundaries, maybe sure. they're not allowed to have social media, stuff like that. They do have a little bit, a little bit of FOMO. You know, they get a little bit of FOMO, but honestly, they're just happier. Like they just and look. FOMO happier. means FOMO means fear of missing out. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. Okay. That's for us adults. <laughs> yes. Man. That's yes. for us adults. Yes. Uh, you're welcome. And so, and they just, but honestly, they're just genuinely happier. So, I know you've got some media boundaries in your yeah, home. So, what are those boundaries that you have with your kids? Yeah, Bridget and I have decided uh, two things. Number one, we don't ha- allow our teenagers right now to have social media. And they, how old are they? So 14 and 12. They'll be, okay. they'll be 15 and 13. Okay. Um, now, here's the thing. We, we will disciple them into having social media because it's probably unavoidable. But I, I'm not really a fan of social media. I don't think social media is blessing and helping and shaping everybody's life in all the right ways. But again, anything can be a tool, so I'm not anti, nor do I have a fear mentality. Our goal, therefore, is to teach our kids how to steward things properly. That's our mindset on parenting. So we will do that. We just haven't. I don't think right now is the, the age. My, my daughter has a phone at 14. My son doesn't. So the next step for him will have a phone at 13. Mm-hmm. Um, so with media boundaries, they can have an hour a day. That's the media boundary in our home. My son does play video games, Mm -hmm. but we have a limitation on how far those video games will go. So if the video games are vulgar, Mm -hmm. if they have all kinds of cuss words, if you can get online and everybody's going to be cussing and all that, we're we're a Mm no-go on that. I'm not ashamed of that. Mm -hmm. Um, There are some games we're not going to play because we're Dixons, and Mm -hmm. we just don't need to do that. I think you need to limit the games that you're just going to kill people. Um, Sometimes when they're a little bit... I know this is sort of how I feel about it, but if the games are more realistic and they're about shooting and killing, mm-hmm. I'm not for that. I'm just, I'm personally, I think that we're living in a world that wants to talk about gun laws. I'm not trying to get political, but they want to talk about gun laws, but they've never connected the dots to our movies and our video and our consumption of media where we've normalized shooting people. Mm-hmm. So let's just, let's just throw that out there and mm-hmm. let that settle. Mm-hmm. But I think if we connect the dots, all of it is important. So if you're going to let your kids play video games, or you're going to let your kids have media, number one, you have to curate the content in your home. Yeah. Okay, that means that you have to approve what they're watching, what they're connected to, what they're playing, and you have to limit it. And the reason we limit it is because our kids can only give themselves to so much. You only have so much time in a day. You only have so much affection to give away. Mm -hmm. You only have so much... Um, bandwidth, how much space that you can be passionate about something. So if you want your kids to be passionate about the Bible or maybe leading worship or all these other, or learning piano or guitar, or mm-hmm. you want them to like have a work ethic and learn skills and and also musical instruments or other things that they're to be passionate about, you cannot let them have hours and hours and hours 
where they're just, uh, they become addicted Mm -hmm. to social media, to media, and to video games. Mm -hmm. So if our kids grow up to do that, that's on them, but we're teaching them self-control. The fruit Mm -hmm. of the Spirit is self-control. And so our limitations are not just important that we have our boundaries, but that we help them understand why you have boundaries. Yeah. Okay, so that's another key. So what I'm saying, our limit's an hour a day for our teenagers, number one. Number two, I have a lock on all of their phones and devices. So I monitor all the phones and the devices in the home. Parents, please hear me. Your kids are doing things that you don't want to admit. Mm-hmm. If you give a kid full access to the internet, you can bank on the fact that they are watching things you do not want them to watch, and it is inviting addiction into their life. The statistics on pornography are so high for young people, it is rare that I meet a young adult male that is not looking at pornography. Mm-hmm. It is rare. I need you to hear that. It is rare that people are not exposed to watching, dabbling in, or doing things that we don't want them to do. And so we've got to be on guard. Proverbs chapter 4 says, guard your heart with all diligence, for out of it flow the issues of life. Mm-hmm. When you're a parent, your job is to help guard your children's heart with all diligence, because out of it flow the issues of life. But our job is not just to guard it for them, it's to teach them how to guard it for themselves. Yeah. So these boundaries have to be explained and understood. They do not have to be loved. Your kids have the flesh, and if you let the flesh rule, it will rule. So we put the boundaries in place, we teach them why we have them in place, and then as they grow older, we disciple them into more and, to how, and how they can steward that. But let's go back to this for just a moment. Mm-hmm. Our example to our kids has to be consistent, which means that if we're on stuff more, then we're asking them to be on it. Mm-hmm. Come on, Ryan, that's mm-hmm. not a good thing. Nope. So we've got to determine our boundaries for them based on our boundaries for ourselves. So the final thing I would tell you is that when it comes to media consumption, Bridget and I have made a rule that we are not going to watch things that we're not going to allow our kids to watch. Now, again, our kids aren't five and six, mm-hmm. so that didn't wouldn't work so well if they were like five and six, because what? how far would you let that go? Mm-hmm. But at 14 and 12, there is nothing that Bridget and, I, Bridget and I would watch that our kids can't watch. And it's all about having mm-hmm. clean hands and a pure heart. When you have a clean home, you're not. You're never watching. You're never worrying about who's watching over your shoulder. Mm-hmm. You're never wondering if your kids are going to pick up something from you that mm-hmm. isn't for them, and that is what that is about. Having a clean heart. Yeah. And so, um, so your computers are open um, and they're monitored. Your devices are open and they're monitored. Anybody mm-hmm. in our home can get on any computer and any device because all of it is clean. Mm-hmm. Number one, and then number two. All of it is monitored. Mm -hmm. So none of our kids have full internet access on anything in Mm -hmm. any way. Everything is monitored. Mm -hmm. Um, And and Apple has that. There are a lot of ways that we can uh, teach you how to do that. So if you're ever interested, how do I lock down my home? I mean, one of the uh, things that's important when we talk about media is... It's, I think it's kind of interesting that we have locks on our doors. Some people, it depends on what neighborhood you live in, but we have bars on our windows. We have security systems on our homes, but we hardly have anything locking down our internet, which is literally what's dragging people into addiction and destroying their lives. Mm-hmm. It's consuming their lives, mm-hmm. and it's, it's disqualifying them from doing the, the greater things that maybe people want to do in their life. How many mm-hmm. people have said, hey, I want to write a book? Well, stop wanting to write it and start writing it. Mm-hmm. It's just discipline. Mm-hmm. You can do you can do that. You can do what you want to do, but you can't do it by 
being consumed with all these other things. And addictions are starting in our home, and they're not happening by the world out there. They're happening by the world right here. This is how the world system is getting into our children. It isn't about having an influence from a friend at school. Those days are gone. You, you should be more concerned about the influence on their phone mm-hmm. than you should about the influence at their school. I mean, re- honestly. Yeah. And that goes for Christian homes. I mean, sometimes we, sometimes we keep our kids homeschooled or we keep our kids in Christian school and we think that's going to somehow sanitize them. Actually, if we're not putting bars on the windows of the devices in our home, mm-hmm. if we're not monitoring and curating that content, mm-hmm. you're, I can guarantee your kids are doing stuff yeah. that they shouldn't do. So we've got to monitor it. Mm-hmm. We've got to have boundaries. We've got to teach our kids why mm-hmm. we have those boundaries. Mm-hmm. We have to be a good example of those boundaries ourselves. In yeah. other words, we have to be holding to those types of things. And, um, and I also believe that we've got to disciple them into more as they get older so that we're not just boundary people. Yeah. Well, I was going to say that these kinds of boundaries are not even limited to children or, or it kids. It should be adults too. Yeah. Like for... It's exactly true. as an example, for me, like the only social media app I have is Instagram. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't have Snapchat. I don't have TikTok. You know, I don't have It's because Levi is so photogenic, man. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have these other... It's like these other... Yeah. Uh, these other apps because it's just healthy for me, Amen. you know? Yeah, like yeah, yeah. Netflix, like my wife and I, we don't watch anything on Netflix that's MA. And if it's R, it's got to be like a rare, rare exception. Right. Yeah, you know? There's so a few. Yeah. There's, yeah. It's it. just like, so it's just not even limited to kids. Um, I will say, though, um, before we move on to sexuality, I have literally seen teenage girls who didn't have social media mm-hmm. and, then, and, then, and then have access to social media, and they just, something in them changes. And, totally. And it's, it's comparison. It's oh, this absolutely. comparison thing. Yeah, now it's they've a got a, it's a, it's a god of this age. Yeah, comparison is it's it, and it's really let's just call it jealousy. Let's call the Bible mm-hmm. calls it jealousy. Mm-hmm. It doesn't just call it comparison because mm-hmm. comparison is sort of the bridge to the actual sin, which is jealous. I'm jealous of what you have, so I'm going to up my game to be more than you. Mm-hmm. Right? That's what the Bible calls it. And mm-hmm. actions come out and like you. You can't stop jealousy. Jealousy is like, it's a force to reckon with. Mm-hmm. And I think that these platforms create for young people who are unbridled and don't have self-control in their lives. And I'm not suggesting that that's, you know, they should be more mature than this. Mm-hmm. But what I'm saying is, is that it has presented an option and an opportunity for them mm-hmm. to not be able to steward themselves well and not even know why they're doing what they're doing. Why am I doing this? Why am I taking a picture like this? Yeah. Why am I thinking about this all the time? Mm-hmm. Why am I thinking so much about this other person? Mm-hmm. Why am I cutting them down in this conversation that mm-hmm. I'm having with somebody else? Mm-hmm. So that's another thing we do in our home is that whenever there's a conversation about another person at our table, we are constantly trying to capture that conversation and say, hey, we shouldn't be talking about somebody like this. Mm-hmm. You see mm-hmm. what I'm saying? Yeah. And when you do, accidentally, you pray for them and you realize that we all have areas of brokenness, and we all have needs mm-hmm. for which God can fulfill. Mm-hmm. And it's very important that you capture those conversations mm-hmm. because I do believe social media has a power mm-hmm. to provide options and opportunities for kids mm-hmm. that don't know how to steward that well. So that is why we have to not only limit, but we have to disciple them in how to see these things mm-hmm. properly mm-hmm. and then steward them well. Yeah. I, I agree with everything you're saying. Yeah, yeah. Um... I'm the primary one talking, but I agree, I agree with the snippets that you're adding to this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so you know, parents, leaders, mentors, friends, we need we need to be the ones breathing identity 
into our children instead of letting social media totally do that for them. Um, okay, m- moving on to sexuality. Um, how have you um, addressed and talked about sexuality, you know, with your children in your home? You know, at, at what age did you start? You know, what kinds of things did you guys go through? Um, mm-hmm. All of that. Well, at 24 years old, I adopted my wife's two boys, and they were 9 and 11. So immediately, six months into adopting them, I'm talking to an 11-year-old about puberty. At 24, I was 24, and my oldest son was 11. So I I was drafted, and I was a youth pastor at the time, so I was drafted into uh, to doing this, and, and I was uh, woefully unprepared and not equipped, and I realized first how not to do it. Um, <laughs> And what 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 were those ways like? Yeah, I what, mean, what, what don't you do? Yeah, I think that uh, assumption was one of the things. Like, for example, there there are a lot of things that kids just don't know, right? And so you have to be the primary, not only discipler but just teacher. You have to teach kids terms. You have to teach them what things are. Um, people are very angry and upset about the sex ed curriculum that is being established in Washington State right now. Me too. Amen. I, I was shocked to see that 90,000 people more voted yes than no. Um, I voted against it, of course, but the reality is is that I'm not afraid of what's being taught in our public school system because I know what I'm teaching in my home. When you know what you're teaching in your home and it's better than the apple that God says don't take, you know that your kids have not only a fighting chance, but they have a foundation for which they can live healthy sexuality. And even if they make those mistakes, they have a foundation to come back to. So no assumptions. Let me just say, don't make assumptions. Your kids know nothing. Just because they have private parts does not mean they know what they're for, how to use them, how they work, or what is happening to them. They know nothing. So there are good books out there that we weren't aware of from Lifeway Research and also from Focus on the Family. There are books in Focus on the Family that start when kids are six, Mm -hmm. and you can read them all the way up until they're 18. There's several books that you can buy, and they start at a certain age, and they are age-appropriate. And I would tell you that they teach those things better than anything else they're going to get. They're going to get a distorted view from, from the sex ed curriculum, clearly, things that we don't believe biblically. Um, and it's going to distort their thinking and allow uh, them to think things are okay that aren't okay and so on. But there are books out there that are age-appropriate that lead them on that track of understanding what's happening to them, yeah. their body parts. It, it, like, let me just say, they make no assumptions, okay? Yeah, yeah. There are even diagrams in most of these books, ladies and gentlemen. It <laughs> is very, very clear. Like link the book somewhere. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, okay. um, the, the books that we've used for girls and boys, so they're gender distinct. And they talk very thoroughly about everything from anatomy to sexuality to covenant to God's word and understanding how to steward yourself. And really what I look at these books as is conversation starters. So one of the best things that you can do for your kids, I believe, and, and we have uh, uh, in America, uh, we're sort of a melting pot of, of cultures, right? So everybody can have a back culture. I, as an American, don't have a back culture, okay? So... Some of us do. I don't. So in other words, I don't, I'm not, you know, embedded in things that are like pa- rites of passages. You know, they're, they're like a Hebrew culture. They have bar mitzvahs. They have different stages of development where they celebrate maturity. Not every culture does, but some do, right? Mm-hmm. I've never had that, right? It's random if I had a conversation growing up about anything. 
So you have to recognize we have to establish what I would call that stages of maturity conversations, when, how, uh, when when we're going to do it, what we're going to say, and how we're going to go about it, the context, right? There's the content and the context. So what we decided was these books are good conversation starters, but that the context is very important. You have to be undistracted. So when our kids turn, um, I mean, we, we read the book starting at like six or seven years old. So you have to have separate time just with the child. So you start around six or seven years old. Absolutely. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And it, I mean, it starts with distinction. I mean, these books start with like distinction and you're a boy and you're a girl. Right. And it's, I mean, it's really fun and cool and they don't respond extremely well, but um, but again, you're, what you're doing is you're building a foundation. Yeah. Okay. So every year there's another book that you can go through slowly and you have special time. And I know parents at Northwest church that actually do that. Does the, does the dad talk with the son and the Correct. mom talk with the daughter? Okay. Absolutely. Okay. And, so I, and I think, I, and you want to cross pollinate too. Oh, okay. Okay. What I would add to that beyond like the content, your context, okay? Your context is date nights. So Bridget and I have date nights with our kids. That's what we call them. So we have date nights. So we alternate. So if I'm going to be with our daughter one night, then the next time we do the date night, I'm going to be with our son. Okay. So again, this is flexible because parenting is not just schedule oriented when your schedules change. We try to do it every two weeks. And then sometimes it goes every month, mm-hmm. and then we go, oh, we got to get back to every two weeks. Mm-hmm. So this is parenting. It's the ebb and flow mm-hmm. uh, that we've had to uh, work with. So we alternate date nights, and then when the kids turn 13, we take them on a trip. Azariah, my wife took Azariah to England. Um, Judah and I, actually, Judah's turn, turning 13 this year, and so he gets to choose. Uh, we're kind of looking at where you don't have to wear a mask as much. <laughs> so I'm just going to be really honest with you. Where is so we're that? Looking at tex- we're looking at tex- good old Texas and oh, Florida. Yeah, Texas God bless and... America. So uh, we're, we're looking at the, the, no offense, we're looking at the red states. Okay. All right. We're looking at the places where you can go mask off and we can breathe more. Uh, that was sounded political. It wasn't. It was just a true statement, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> so Judah and I are going to go on his, his coming of age trip. We also think of things like um, rites of passage, stage yeah. celebration of stages of maturity. And you can choose what you want those to be. I recommend two books to you right now, Raising a Modern Day Knight for Boys and Raising a Modern Day Princess for Girls. If you have a girl, read the, the one that's for the girls. If you have a boy, read the ones for the boys. Do you read it together? Or do you parent you read it, it? This okay. is a book you don't read to your kids. Okay. This is a book you read for yourself. Okay. What it helps you understand is there are stages of maturity. And the Bible and Hebrew culture, they have this built in. There was celebration at every stage of maturity in Hebrew culture. Even in Genesis, it's a funny little verse, but it says when Isaac was weaned, Abraham... Uh, celebrated with a feast. It's a little verse. You don't even think about it. I'm just, uh, when Isaac stopped breastfeeding, he threw a feast. I mean, that's just super weird, right? Like, but what it meant was he's come of age. He's come to a place of maturity where he no longer needs to breastfeed. He's, he's grown to the next stage of development. Mm -hmm. I just think it's kind of cool that they celebrated every stage of development Mm -hmm. for their kids. I don't think that the typical American culture is that way. We celebrate our kids and we like to throw mm-hmm. parties and we like, okay, okay, fine. Yeah, birthday parties. But or do, like that. do we recognize their maturity? Mm-hmm. Have we set for them goals and a trajectory of which we're developing their foundation? And then mm-hmm. when they achieve some of that, we actually teach them that you're a man of God, you're a woman mm-hmm. of God. So one of the things that I did when I ra- read Raising a Modern Day Night is I decided that I wanted to write a book called A Man Book for my older boys. And I wrote 
a long, it was a book. I mean, it's got like seven principles on being a man of God, basically. I wrote that and then I wrote something personal and I put pictures in it. And then I had like 10 to 20 different men that they would know write a letter about what it means to be a man of God. And I took all of those letters and I put them into a book and I bound it and I gave it to them on their 18th birthday. And, uh, and then I did what the Bible says. I laid my hands on my sons and I blessed them just like Abraham would bless his sons, just like Isaac would bless his sons, just like Jacob. You know, you, you lay, there's an impartation that if you believe this, these are your kids, when you put your hands on them and you say, I bless you with all that I am, I bless you in the name of Jesus in your stage of development, that you would come under the conviction of the same God that I serve. Mm-hmm. When you do that, God will honor that. I'm telling you, God honored that prayer. When I prayed those prayers over both of my older boys, God honored that blessing mm-hmm. and released that on their life. And part of that blessing is they come under the same conviction that you're under as a man of God. And the same would be true for a woman. My point is this, is that that's what I did, and, 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 and that doesn't stop. You're never... You never stop being the parent, you know, even though my sons are 28 and 26, I very much care for them and their development even now. They're, I don't look down on them like they're little boys, they're men, but I can never only be their friend. When parents say, I just want to grow up to be your friend, I think I know what you mean, um, and I think we want to have a, that kind of loving relationship where we can have more exchange and have fun together, and, and they want to be around us is, I think, what we're trying to say. But you never really stop being their parent. You're always... To, I mean, I think till the day we die, we're always going to want our kids to succeed and go higher and reach further and go, go farther, and that's just how it is. So so you always have the tension of being the parent slash, I, wanna, I want you to want to be with us too. Like, mm-hmm. that's a level of friendship. But celebrating stages of maturity, uh, carving out those... Um, points of celebration and stages of maturity. So the books are really important. The context, having date nights is really important. We have a coming of age trip. And then for our daughter, we're going to, we're going back to old school purity culture. Amen. We're buying her a purity ring and I'm not ashamed. And I know people today are condemning purity culture and how destructive it was. Let me just tell you, I came from impurity culture and it's not (laughs) worse than whatever purity culture was. So if you were scarred by purity culture, I'm sorry. Okay. But sometimes we didn't know, people didn't know how to teach purity to their kids. And every person that was scarred by that is going to have to walk through that with their own kids. And I can tell you it ain't easy, but I came from impurity culture and it ain't better. So I think that we need to all get healed, Mm -hmm. but I'm going back old school and I want to give my daughter a ring and I'm, and I, and she's excited about it Mm -hmm. and we're going to spend a little bit of money on it. And the person that takes that ring off is going to be the man that's that's going to take care of her. Yeah. And I'm going to believe for that, you know? And if my daughter and my son make mistakes, you know, it ain't going to be because we did that. Yeah. We'll, they'll come under the conviction of God for their own lives, but we're going to believe God for their purity. Yeah. And we're not ashamed of that at all. Parents, do not be ashamed for contending for the purity of yeah. your kids. Don't be ashamed of getting in their business. Mm-hmm. Just don't be legalistic. That's all, that's all you got to do. That was my next question, but... Um, I knew it was coming, Ryan. Yeah, dude. This is going to be like a two-hour podcast. You're welcome. <laughs> Press pause at any time you need to and come back after Take you have your cereal break. or whatever you need to get, you know, get your little Starbucks <laughs> break. break. Come on now. Um, so, okay, well, 
what sounds like is really significant is having these like really tangible moments in this right. rite of passage, whether it's a trip or, or a ring or whatever, yep. you know, and, and like kind of lock it in their minds. Like we're walking through this together. Right. You're growing up. We, we yep. celebrate you. We yep. love you. You're older now. And this is that whole rite of passage um, mindset, mm-hmm. um, which is awesome. Um, so what about discipling your children through, you know, sexual mistakes mm-hmm. or sin, you know, if yeah. they fail, yeah. you know, you're, you've, caught your son daughter watch pornography yep they confess something to you they've yep they've they they messed up and they did have end up having sex with somebody or you know um what is that conversation like for you as a parent what do you say to them um you know well first of all i've we've done that so i'm Mm -hmm. just gonna and i'm not telling my kids story my older kids not my younger kids but we've done all that and they they're you know he 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 will talk about it so we're we've been open about this Um, so it's not a theory mm-hmm. <laughs> for me. Thank you for asking. Um, and I want to tell you that, first of all, uh, I, Bridget and I, my wife and I, we come from a very checkered past sexually. Um, just want to say, Bridget and I didn't even kiss before we were married. We made a decision that we, we were going to be pure, that we weren't, we weren't even alone before we were married. We, we, uh, she had two boys. When they, went down to, when they went to bed, I went home. That's how it was. And I, I am not, I don't regret any of that. I know you take the romance out of it, but sometimes you can't handle the romance. That's why Proverbs says, can a man scoop hot fire coals into his, uh, into his lap and not get burned? No, he cannot. <laughs> okay. And it's, it's specifically yeah. addressed to men. And this is because of your checkered past. Because of right. our checkered past, right. I just, I have these funny, stupid things that I say, and I'm just going to say, I'm like, <laughs> if I, <laughs> If I'm not hungry, I don't open the fridge. You understand, like if <laughs> because you just if if you're not if you don't want to fight with the enemy, don't get in the ring. Amen. Jesus already won. Don't get in the ring and start throwing blows. You're gonna lose. Okay. Nobody's the exception. Nobody's an exemption. I tell young people that it's just stupid. Can I be alone with this person and just watch Netflix and have the? No, you can't. Okay, because <laughs> you're inevitably gonna move somewhere and do something you shouldn't do. All right. You need to develop boundaries and self control. So the fact is. People make mistakes, people sin, and people sin sexually. In the Bible, that's the number one thing that brought people down. We obviously know that's the number one thing that's bringing our culture down. There is a real spirit of Jezebel in the world that would love nothing more than to seduce people, particularly Christians, particularly our children, into a way of addiction and sexual immorality as a way of life and as a normal way of life and sexual perversion be a part of their future. And so we've, number one, we've talked about combating that. We've talked about helping to set the trajectory, helping to establish a normal way of thinking and living so that they're healthy. But when they fall, and they will fall, uh, and we hope that it's easily mitigated or it isn't too far, but when they fall, you, we have to have such a heart of grace for our kids um, that we love them unconditionally and we show them in the moments when they blow it the most. And our heart to contend for our kids is not to contend for an ideal that they'll never make a mistake. Our hearts to contend for our kids is that every moment that our kids open their heart to us is a gift. Mm. If a kid, mm. if your kid ever opens up their heart to you where they've sinned, consider that the greatest gift that they could give you mm. in the moment that you're in. Mm. Because here's what was told to me you know, years ago, is that when things come to the light, it's good even if it's hard, Mm -hmm. because what is true in the darkness, if it never comes into the light, it will Mm -hmm. not be cleansed. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. It will, it, it may be forgiven, but it will not be cleansed when it comes to the light mm-hmm. and some, and your child, your, your young person puts it on the table and says, here's what I've done. Your next decision matters a lot. Right. Right. And that decision needs to be, I am going to be with you. Mm-hmm. I am for you. I forgive you. We're going to go to God together. I'm going to war with you so that you continue to be clean, that you continue to be pure. But you just listen and you love and you walk with them and you hug them and you mm-hmm. pray for them and you tell them mm-hmm. that they can be free. And even though they've made mistakes, even though they've sinned, that God can bring forgiveness and you show them the love of Christ. Do not show mm-hmm. them your disappointment. You might be disappointed inside, mm-hmm. but you let you deal with that with God. Yeah. You deal with that with God because kids are just, they automatically are going to go to shame and guilt. That, mm-hmm. is the, that is the nature of the fall. Genesis chapter 3, mm-hmm. that's what you see. The first thing is that, that when they took from the tree, they looked at each other and saw that they were naked. And I think sexual brokenness is built into the sinful nature. They looked at each other, saw that they were naked, and they were ashamed. Yeah. Our kids, when they sin sexually, they're ashamed. The greatest gift that they can give us is an honest confession. So so instead of seeing it as a so you blew it moment, it's this real vulnerable opportunity to I see it as a thank you for children. being honest with me moment. Right, right. That's how I see it. I might be internally disappointed, right. not in them, but for them. Right. Right, because I, I I have sexual sin in my past and my, mm-hmm. my upbringing. I was mm-hmm. full of sexual sin, and so yeah, I'm disappointed for them. But if I'm disappointed in them, that says something about my idealism about parenting. I think that we've got to like let that go, mm-hmm. because if our kids like here's let me ask you a question, okay? Are kids going to sin? Y e s. Okay, so if we know that's true, when they tell us then it's a gift for us. Right. Why? Because they're allowing us into a, the most vulnerable space of their heart where we can help them out. Mm. They're already in a pit. The question is, are they going to let us throw down mm-hmm. the ladder to get them out? Mm. Or are they going to act like they're not there? It's a gift. Yeah. So grace is... Uh, our response is not to be disappointed in them mm-hmm. internally, maybe for them, but it's to help them, it's to love them, it's to contend with them, it's to show them a better way, it's mm-hmm. to get behind them and push them towards Christ. Yeah. It's um, when you said that moment when they confess to you something that mm-hmm. they've done or they've gotten caught or whatever, and you said, what you say next matters so much. Mm-hmm. And it's like, when I think about that, it's like, because in their mind, they're, they're going to get Jesus or something else. You know, like this is going to lock in for them. Like, what is the gospel? You know, right. You're going to be a reflection of what you're preaching to them, right? About the gospel, about forgiveness, about grace, right? You, you, you're, you know, again, parents, we're going to have moments. You know, you can if 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 you're hurt, go into your secret place and cry. I mean, do what you have to do before God. It might hurt deeply, mm-hmm. right? But do not think for a second, what did I do wrong? You had, you 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 gave birth to kids with a sinful nature. Okay. It's what you did right that caused them to come to you. Mm-hmm. And we just have the wrong mentality there. You see what I'm saying? Like, like perfectionism is not, is not realistic. So for kids to come, this is what I tell people. When people come to me and they confess their sin, I just want to tell you my mentality about sin in general. Yeah. When people come to me and confess their sin, the next question they always ask me, maybe not every time, but most times, they're thinking it even if they didn't ask, is, Pastor Ben, what am I supposed to do? You know, the first thing I tell them now after years of hearing every confessional under the sun is what you just did 
was massive and you cannot overlook the fact that you were honest Mm -hmm. and you came clean Mm -hmm. in front of another person. Mm -hmm. Do not overlook what you just did. Mm -hmm. You just shamed the devil and you took away his power. Mm -hmm. You took away the power of the flesh by coming into the light. We walk in the, the Bible says, we walk in the light as he is in the light and the blood of Jesus, his son cleanses us and purifies us. We walk in the light. We're not, we're not, we're ashamed. We're, we're, we're guilty. Our sin We're guilty of sin, but we're not ashamed to walk in the light because we know that the one who is light will cleanse us. We've got to come to the light. So when we treat that moment differently, Mm -hmm. then it is saying something about who we think we are Mm -hmm. and what we think God's response is in that moment. What is God saying in that moment? Our response has to be the same. So I make a hero out of somebody that confesses their sin, Mm -hmm. and I tell them, never stop confessing your sin. The Bible says God gives grace to the humble, and if humble people are anything, they're honest. They're excruciatingly, painfully honest. Mm -hmm. So when our kids are honest with us, the Bible says that God gives undeserved, unearned favor Mm -hmm. to the humble. He resists the proud. Proud Mm -hmm. people don't admit anything. Proud people don't own anything. Proud people don't repent of anything. Everything is everybody else's fault. I'm good, and they're hypocrites. Mm-hmm. But godly, humble people get the grace of God. Yeah. And we facilitate that moment for our kids. I love it. Yeah. I love it. We're coming down the hill. We are. Here. Um, the two-hour hill. Something it's like I Mount Rainier. <laughs> we're like, we're like, we're, it's like a Mount Rainier yeah. Uh, podcast. Yeah, amen. Um, something I've noticed about you, walking with you for seven years, is you are consistently challenging me mm-hmm. right like like pushing me towards holiness and becoming a better you know husband father man of god you know and i have come to you with my mistakes and things like that mm-hmm. but it's it's funny like like you challenge me and challenge me um and but then when i do come to you you know with something it's always grace you mm-hmm. know and it's just a reflection of of jesus and i just think about like even for parents like the ability to 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 administer that grace in the moment um, really comes from like their understanding of the, the love of the Father as well. Yeah. Right? For the parent, the parent has to understand the gospel for themselves mm-hmm. as well. Um, Can I tell you? I know you're going to go into a question, but no, 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 I, no, I, there's one it. thing I forgot. I believe there's a reason why your kids will come to you and tell you the truth. Your kids will come to you and be honest with you and confess their sin not just because you told them they can, but they will do it if you've told them your testimony. And I want, mm. I want to emphasize this. If you've never told your kids your testimony about how you came to Christ and how you've experienced yeah. the transformational grace of God, if they've not heard that from you, mm. take them out to dinner, take them out to coffee, and mm. walk them through your story. It's and give, right them as, give them as much as you can. My wife actually had this idea, and I want to honor her. She had this idea... And I openly, I mean, I preach all the time, and people probably get tired of my story. Fine. You get tired of my story. The Holy Spirit said, never forget where you came from. So I tell my story all the time. <laughs> I don't care if you get annoyed by it. You don't know who I used to be. Amen. That's why Apostle Paul, you know, he says it, his story. Uh, Pastor Steve Shell used to tell his story. I know his story. I've listened to his sermons online. I know his story. But here's the thing. My wife came up with this idea that she needed to tell our kids her testimony. And so she took all of our kids out, and then I did the same. But I, they hear mine all the time. But it was, it was pretty. It, I can tell you this: 
If you haven't done it, your kids have to hear about how God has worked in your life, changed your heart, mm. and how your relationship with God truly is that you come to Him when you sin. They've got to hear about that from you. They've got to know about this from you. That will help your kids come to you when they sin yeah. because they've heard that story from you. Yeah. Amen. That was important. That was important. I, I could feel the importance of what you just said. It's, you, it's, feelings are real. They're not always right, though. <laughs> but that was right. Here's Ryan, you were right God on that feeling. really loves us. <laughs> yeah, you're really right on that. Um, okay. One of, some of the most fruitful, just effective, powerful families I've seen are those who serve together in Amen. the church. Yep. Um, I see them at church together, serving together, mm. both mom and dad, yep. you know. Um, how important is that? You know, what is that? What would that look like for a family, right? Yeah. Plugging in different ministries, or I mean, just yeah. Values. So, so um, we'll just close on this. But let me okay. let me just give some principles that I, I have. Believe. One more question after this. I oh, got yes. one more question. All right, can you guys? But it's a good one. It's a good one, guys. You're if, gonna want to. If talk you're about done it. before we are, press pause. But come on back. Come on back. Come on back to the living room where we're drinking good coffee and having good conversation. Except we don't have coffee. Don't have coffee. Let me just say this. Um, Parenting cannot merely be about morality, okay? It just can't be. It can't be about just right or wrong. It can't, it can't be an expectation without demonstration. Mm. Kids have to see it in their parents, mm -hmm. but they also have to do it with their parents, mm. all right? So Tuesday, my kids know our family's getting out in the yard, amen? They're gonna, they're gonna, we're getting out into the yard together. And they used to think it was about an hour. Oh, no. Oh, no. It's a couple hours, more like three. Now my kids have settled in, right? They're, they're watching this right now. They're laughing. Now they've settled in. It used to be an hour, then it was two hours. Oh, no. It's until dinner time now. Yeah. It's after school all the way to dinner time. That's how we roll or until you can't move anymore. And that does happen once in a while, okay? My point is, is that just like we do chores around the house, okay, just like we talk about serving other people, there has to be practical ways that we do that. And with the ebb and flow of parenting, Bridget and I have done many things. So like, if you want to minister to the homeless, um, and again, homeless people made in the image of God, they just don't have a home, okay? I mean, that's these are people that, that uh, we have to look at with dignity. How do you teach your kids to see everybody with dignity and respect? One of the ways is not just being benevolent to them, but it's seeing them and getting their name. It's not just giving them... So we would put together backpacks and all this stuff. So we, we've done this for years where we always had backpacks full of all kinds of things that you would need if you were homeless. And the reason I know that is because I was, I was in uh, ministry to the homeless for years. And so I know a lot of the things that people need in, that, in those places. So we put those together for years and we'd always do that. But, but that's not enough. I don't want my kids to just be benevolent. Like I'm, I'm the have and you're the have not. That's not enough. You have to learn their name, hear their story and care about people. Okay. Di having dignity and respect and honor for all people. So it's not just enough to just give to someone, okay? We have to go beyond that. And that's discipleship. Discipleship is where we, is where we understand the, the holistic aspect of that. I don't just want my kids to feel like, yeah, we're good and other people, we're going to give to other people that right. aren't so good. So when it comes to sharing and giving and serving and, and loving and all of that, there has to be both a practical 
process, a thing that you do, and then a mindset that you're constantly talking about it and you're praying for people and you get their names. And so we've done that. We've done the backpack thing and then we get names and those people's names become household names where we've prayed for them in our home for many months where our children were just saying those names. I can remember one guy's name was Patrick and Judah was praying for Patrick for like ever. And Patrick became a household name. He was a guy that we met that we gave a backpack to, but it wasn't just a feeling that we did something nice for somebody that's down and out. Mm -hmm. It was that that man has a destiny in God. That Mm -hmm. that man has made the image of God. And his name was on the, in the mouth of my son for months. Mm -hmm. And I think there's power in that, you know? So serving together can be simple, Mm-hmm. and it can be robust. And that's where we've got to bridge mm-hmm. the gap. So you have to ask yourself, what are the things that we can do to serve together, mm-hmm. to be together? So like, for example, at our church, I'm the lead pastor, but my wife and kids, so I'm preaching on Sunday, but they're serving. Um, hopefully our family is an example where we're serving too. Right. When we came to rip out the carpet and redo the remodel, I was here. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? Like, I didn't just, I didn't bail on that. Mm-hmm. I was here. So... Our kids serve in the children's ministry. Um, we would do Wednesday at our food pantry if we could together. We just can't because of the, the schedule. But we've got to have practical things, and we have for years. We ebb and flow, but we constantly are saying, hey, we want to do that together. Yeah. You can use holidays. So this Thanksgiving, for example, Northwest Church, I want to give up some of our American traditions, our pumpkin pie and turkey or whatever. We'll still have that. But I want to create a space in our church where we're actually going to have a Thanksgiving on Thanksgiving Day on site, and we're just going to be here to serve all the families that maybe don't have families. Maybe they don't have places to go for Thanksgiving. That's We want to give our Christmas and our Thanksgiving away, yeah. and I want my kids Amen. to learn and love that, mm-hmm. that it's not just getting together with people you don't see but once a year, mm-hmm. okay, and hopefully it goes well. I want to give our Thanksgiving, our Christmases away mm-hmm. to people to create a sense of family. And so that's those kinds of things. Think out of the box. What do you want your kids to carry in terms of value and vision? And if you do those things that are sacrificial, where you give up maybe some of the American traditions for something that's spiritual inheritance, Mm -hmm. that will be an echo into the lives of your kids and their families far beyond you, you living on this earth. That's the stuff that I think matters and makes a difference. So families that serve together, Mm -hmm. we're very busy. We don't have a lot of time, mm-hmm. so you have to choose practical things, mm-hmm. put together backpacks, mm-hmm. like I said, give those mm-hmm. to people that you see, learn their name, and let their name be on the mouths and the prayers of your kids in your home to bring dignity and respect and honor and ask for God's best. Mm-hmm. Serve at church together, that's what mm-hmm. we do, but then also give some of your traditions away so that you can create something that is an inheritance for your kids, even with their kids. Mm-hmm. And so we're starting... That's this Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. Um we're going to do that in our church. We're going to mm-hmm. do Thanksgiving here in the gym, mm-hmm. and we're going to do a potluck style, mm-hmm. and we're going to have fun. I don't know if we'll have a talent show or some kind of oh, that'd be fun. lame thing that we're going to do, but we, but yeah. I'm giving... We we made a decision as a family to give our Thanksgiving away, mm-hmm. and I wanted... I, I led this because it was my heart, mm-hmm. and, and my family was all in. They're like, yeah. let's let's do it. And I bet you we're going to pack that gym out. Oh, yeah. I bet you... I bet you... 100%. I bet you people will catch this vision... And this thing that we're going to do starting this year is going to be something that will ripple into the families of Northwest Church mm-hmm. for 20 years, 30 years beyond this. I'm serious. Yeah. Like, And that's the kind of stuff that your kids see, you do, and you lead, mm-hmm. and they just get swept into the updraft of how exciting that is. Mm-hmm. So serving can be practical. Yeah. It can be robust. Mm-hmm. But 
always take advantage of these things. Yeah, being on mission together. As being a on mission. We've been on mission trips together. That'd mm-hmm. be the other thing. We've done yeah. that too. Not in COVID. <laughs> Everything's kind of <laughs> shut down. But all right. Are you bitter? I'm not. Be- I'm better. I'm better. No, I'm Ben. I'm ben. Yeah, I'm not bitter. Uh, I'm not bitter. I just am in disagreement with a lot of decisions that have been made at a government level. But you can go ahead and ask yeah. me the next question. As we close, <laughs> as we close. Um, so parenting is not always rainbows and butterflies. Sometimes it's incredibly difficult. I hate butterflies. <laughs> incredibly <laughs> I'm difficult. Just that. Sometimes it's heartbreaking. Sometimes yeah, kids walk away from the home, walk away from Jesus. They you do. Know? Yeah. Um, what would you say, says we close, what would you say to the parent who's ready to give up? Yeah, I mean, that fundamentally our, our, our call in God is to not. Okay, so, so um, and, I, and I have to say this, like I speak in, with all due respect, giving up somehow is connected to us, and we've got to recognize that. And, and hear me when I say this, with love and respect, when we're ready to give up, it means that we're weary. It means that we're tired. It means that we're disappointed. We've got to shift from ourselves, and we've got to focus on that kid. It's all about that kid, that kid, that young adult. It is not about us. It is not about how I feel. It's not about how well of a job, good of a job I did, bad of a job I did. We've got to let go of all past regret. We've got to ask God to forgive us, receive that forgiveness if we made mistakes, and move on. That target is on that kid, and we contend till the end. We give up on nothing. We give up on nobody. If God has a destiny for them, we don't give up on them. And that is the key. The key is, is that we don't let the devil have anything. And the first place that we've got to capture is our own mind and heart. So don't allow self-pity. Don't allow yourself to feel sorry for yourself. If there's conviction, receive it. Lord, I'm sorry. Forgive me. Give me a second wind. And if all I can do is pray for my child, that's what I will do. Reach out to them by text, write the letter, write an email, give them a phone call. If they're not receiving that, if they're not interested in talking, I don't know how bad it might be. Maybe it's amicable. Maybe it's not. But you can't give up. We don't give the devil anything. And we're not, if we're ready to give up and if we're weary from the battle, you have to turn from self to them, period. That's the way we get out of that, that place because it's always going to be like, what's the alternative? If you give up, all you're saying is I'm not going to pray anymore and I'm just not going to try anymore and I'm not going to, and I, I, I is going to be the centrality of that entire thing. Whenever we're done, God begins. So if you're at the end of yourself, that is where we give everything to the Lord and we put it all in his hands. We trust the Lord for what he can do that we can't. So I would tell you, no matter how bad it is, don't give up. Yeah. No matter how far down the road it is, it's not over. And the Lord, can he's the God of the turnaround. And so if all you can do is pray, pray. Pray diligently, pray daily. Even if it's for five seconds, 10 seconds, Father, I thank you that you love them more than I do. I thank you, Lord, that even though I may have made mistakes, you can turn them around. You can send people into their life. You can use divine circumstances. You're the one that can turn them around, just like God turned me around. All right? And so our, we have to continue to show unconditional love and grace no, no matter how it affects us. Well, final question for you. Um, what, what would you say to the parent who is either ready to give up or who just has, is just, you know, feeling a lot of shame around their parenting? My response to that uh, is, is that typically when we're at a place where we're ready to give up, 
and we just sort of are weary from the battle, we're tired, we're over it, I would tell you, and I mean this respectfully, I mean this with all due love from my heart, is that it can't be about us. So if we're ready to give up, it usually is because we're tired. It's because we're at the end of ourselves. It's that we're, we, we feel like we need to move on. It can't be about us. It's always got to be about the kid. And I, w- I would actually say, if you feel a sense of shame over your parenting that maybe you failed or you didn't do something right or whatever, that place of shame is probably your promised land. God is calling us to overcome these places of shame in our life and say, I'm going to pick back up where I left off. I'm going to see God redeem whatever mm-hmm. I allowed to be stolen or whatever I've lost. God is the one that can do what we can't, and we have to recognize Him in the process. And so what I would tell every person that is listening, if you give up, then it's going to be about yourself. But if you hold on and you begin to contend, then what you're doing is you're inviting God into the equation, and you're saying, the Lord can do what I haven't been able to do. So first, go to God. And if if you've not done things right, repent. God, forgive me. Cleanse me from whatever I should have, could have, or, or would have done and didn't. And then, by faith, grab a hold of a new way forward and Mm -hmm. say, I'm going to contend for my child. They're not the place of my shame. They're the target of my love. Mm -hmm. That has to be where we start today. And so I want to encourage you that God has more for you. God has more for your child, your young adult, or whoever it is that you feel like you want to give up on. You maybe would say, I don't want to give up on them, but I'm going to give up on the process. It's the same thing. It actually means the same thing. If you give up on the process, or you give up on reaching out, or you give up on praying, you're giving up on them. Don't give up on anybody. Don't give one over to the devil. Don't allow somebody to go the way, um, to go down this way of destruction. We know that broad is the road that leads to destruction and narrow is the path that leads to life. And so we have to contend that our kids get on that path of life. And I'm telling you today, I'm saying this to you, is that you may feel a sense of shame over your past, but you have to have a sense of faith over the future, if not for you, for your kids. And God will honor that. God will bless that. He answers and responds to our faith for our kids. And with that, I'm going to take back over and say, God bless you. Thank you for tuning in to Conversations with Ben Dixon, the longest one that we had. But Mm -hmm. thank you, Ryan, for helping us, helping guide us through this conversation about discipling your home. We pray that it was encouraging and inspirational Mm -hmm. and equipping for you. Mm -hmm. Hey, feel free to let us know how we can continue to have these conversations that matter to you through a biblical lens to provide hope and encouragement. I want to hear from you. Send us emails, send us messages. Tell me how we can address another topic that you would find helpful. But we'll see you next week. God bless you, and we look forward to another conversation. See ya.